Turn to First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Book written 60 years ago. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I feel a little rushed tonight. I can't. Ex- I don't know why. I just feel like the Lord's the Lord's telling me to hurry up. <laughs> First Peter chapter one tonight. Would you? We were there this morning. We're going to go ahead and continue uh, in our study from this morning. But First Peter chapter one. Glad you could be here. Glad you're here. And uh, in spite of everything, I know everybody's excited. Uh, at least a lot of the guys are for sure. You know, the big day, you know, big Super Bowl. Wow, it's like, the, it's like the second coming of the Lord around here or something. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, sadly enough, but it is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I do want the Giants to win, but i got a feeling they're going to lose. But anyway, I, I, I hope my feelings are all wrong. I, you know, you can't go on feelings, you know what I mean? But if I was a gambling man, I'd be really nervous about that bet. But uh, anyway... Uh, tonight, we've got the book of 1 Peter. We've got a sure thing here tonight. <clears throat> More sure word, he says. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in the first, uh, this, the first nine verses. And the, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> then we're just going to go ahead and continue uh, with our study, as I said already. So let's begin reading there. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Uh, again, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, uh, Pontus, excuse me, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, <clears throat> elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We mentioned uh, this morning that this particular book, First Peter, <clears throat> was written in around 60 A.D., And uh, early on in Christian history, there was a tremendous persecution that dispersed believers. And uh, we read about that over in the book of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. That actually took place about 25 years prior to the writing of 1 Peter. Uh, The persecution, of course, caused men and women, boys and girls and families to leave Jerusalem and head on out throughout Judea and north to Samaria. And by the time of this writing... Many of the Jewish Christians had found their way all the way out there, as we said already, in Asia Minor and the the regions about that area. And so uh, some had traveled thousands of miles. Some had gone great distances to escape persecution, to somehow find some place where they could raise their families in peace and in the nurture and admonition of the Lord without fear of being accosted, thrown into prison, even killed. 
Literally, <clears throat> these people <clears throat> were strangers in the land that they now worked and lived. Strangers. And we mentioned this morning again that <clears throat> we, excuse me, we talked about that little course that we sing. Uh, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And the reality is today is that we're all simply pilgrims, strangers in a land. We call it the earth, and we say that it's our home, but in reality, the Bible teaches us quite differently. The apostle here is now speaking to those Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad, and he's saying, listen... He's saying, you guys are strangers. You are mere pilgrims in the land in which you sojourn. Peter, again, made that very clear when he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We said that Paul also alluded to that truth in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, when, when he, he spoke that our conversation is in heaven. And finally, we noted that Jesus Christ himself made note of this truth in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, when he said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, you guys are not of the world. He says, hey, listen, fellas, not only did our Lord teach us this truth, but I want you to know you're mere strangers in a land. And so we saw that they were under great duress and often distress. And Peter goes on now in our passage to begin to tell them why they are strangers. And so we began this morning, and we noted, first of all, that they were strangers because of their father. Their father. We spent some time this morning discussing the difference between God the Father and the devil who is the God of this world. And so we made that distinction and we noted that you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And boy, we spent some time on that and we noted it. <clears throat> but we realized that our fathers are different fathers. <clears throat> that we are separated by a tremendous gulf. That we are indeed pilgrims and strangers. Because our Father is in heaven. And the God of this world is here. And so this is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. And so we want to continue on now with our study. And we want to move on from the fact that <clears throat> excuse me, we're strangers because of our Father. We want to begin now by saying we're strangers because of our fortune. And so let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue. Father, thank you for this time together. And Lord, over these next few minutes, may you be glorified and lifted up and exalted. Now, Father, fill me with your spirit. May I be your mouthpiece tonight. Lord, again, uh, Father, we want no distractions to keep us from receiving and getting exactly what you want. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't update our phones. We wouldn't look at them. We wouldn't check the scores. We wouldn't see who's been saying what about whom and we just take the time to just leave it behind right now in these next 20, 30 minutes and let your Holy Spirit truly speak to us. <clears throat> God of heaven, we need you. So bless now in these next moments, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right. Uh, I'm thinking I might have made a note to myself. Let me see. Nope. <clears throat> okay. Just want to make sure I didn't have any announcements. But nonetheless, we have fortune. Our fortune. That's one of the reasons why we are strangers is because of our fortune. And the, the Apostle Peter made that clear to them. He went on to say, <coughs> he went on to say to them, <coughs> excuse me, I'm really choked up this morning. That game's got me all upset. But anyway, <coughs> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Peter goes on, as we said already, to say, you guys aren't just strangers because of your father, but also your fortune. He's saying your real home is heaven. It's not this earth. Again, you're just pilgrims in a land. You're sojourning in search of a more glorious future. You have an inheritance. And never, ever forget that, he tells them. One of the great preachers of our time, Dr. Fred Craddock, he tells a story about vacationing with his wife one summer in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One night they had found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a very private meal, just the two of them. While they were waiting there for their meal, they noticed a very distinguished-looking, white-haired gentleman moving from table to table, visiting with certain guests. Uh, Craddock whispered to his wife, he, I hope he doesn't come over here. I mean, he didn't really want the man to intrude on their privacy, but... Of course, the man did. He came right on over to them and stood over there by their table. And he said, where are you folks from? And Oklahoma was the reply. And he said, splendid state. I hear, although I've never been there. Uh, what, what do you uh, do for a living? He said, well, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary of Phillips University. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and he sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock said he groaned inwardly. Oh, no, here comes another preacher story. It seems everybody has one. The man stuck out his hand. I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here, across the mountain. My mother was married, wasn't even married when I was born, so I had a pretty hard time of it. When I started to school, my classmates had a name for me. And it wasn't very nice either. I used to go off by myself at recess, and during lunchtime, because of the taunts of my playmates, uh, it just hurt me so deeply I stayed away from as many as I possibly could. What was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling that every eye was burning a hole right through me. They were all wondering just who was my real father. I was about 12 years old, a new preacher had come to our church, and I'd always go in late and slip out early, but <clears throat> one day the preacher said the benediction so fast I got caught and I had to walk with the crowd. and I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about that time, I, about the time I got to the door, I, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt the old weight come on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile, a big smile of recognition. Hey, wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. 
You're a son of God. With that, he slapped me on the rump and said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred uh, Craddock and he said, That was the most important single sentence ever said to me. With that, he smiled, shook the hands of the Craddocks, and he moved on to another table to greet some other friends. Suddenly, Fred Craddock remembered where he had heard that name. Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper. He was the governor of Tennessee. You know, like Ben Hooper, you and I have had a great inheritance. We have a great inheritance. A tremendous inheritance. I mean, we are children of the King and therefore the heirs of a tremendous kingdom. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He goes on in Revelation 21, 27 to say, And there shall be in no wise, (coughs) there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever work of abomination or make of the lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our inheritance is about heaven. We have so much to look forward to. And many times on this earth, the world may scoff and scorn and and sneer at us, but I want you to understand tonight that it doesn't matter what they do. Man, we are, are just simply pilgrims. We are strangers in a land. And our real home is none other than heaven itself. And our Father is none other than God Himself. On a number of occasions, the hope of this inheritance has inspired believers through the ages to disregard both life and limb. To stand unmovable and fixed in their faith before magistrates and, je- and, and governors. The hope of, <clears throat> of this inheritance has moved many to endure imprisonment and even embrace the flames. Through history, death was often welcomed by those who possessed this glorious hope. Governor Agricola of Armenia was confronted with mutiny. Forty soldiers had refused to offer the sacrifice ordered by Emperor Licinius. The forty who stood before him that wintry fourth-century day and Sivast were fine specimens of manhood who radiated an aura of courage. He was determined, however, to make them understand and to reason with them. But the soldiers were adamant. They refused to sacrifice. To do so was to betray their faith in Christ. But what about your comrades, asked Agricola. Consider you alone of all Caesar's thousands of troops defy him. Think of the disgrace you bring upon your legion. The response was simply, to disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is more terrible still. Exasperated, the governor threatened to flog and to torture them. The soldiers stood firm, and although they knew he would carry out his threat, 
They remained steadfast. In the 4th century, there were very few civil rights. Boldly, they answered, Nothing you can offer us would replace what we would lose in the next world. As for your threats, we despise our bodies when the welfare of our souls is at stake. Pairs of guards seized each man and dragged each one into the cold where they were stripped and tied to post. Whips then laid open their backs and iron hooks tore their sides. Still the forty refused to surrender. Agricolics chained them to his dungeons. Finally, he commanded that they be stripped naked and driven onto the ice of a pond below Sevast. However, these rebels, should I say Christians, did not wait for the sentence to be imposed, but instead began tearing off their own clothes. They ran to the pond in the raw march air. We are soldiers of the Lord and fear no hardship, they said. What is death for us but an entrance into eternal life? On this day, March the 9th, 320 A.D., they sang hymns as they shivered on the pond as the sun sank. Baffled, Agricola ordered hot baths placed around the pond. Surely the warm water would lure the men off the ice, he thought to himself. But the crisp night air carried a prayer to all ears. Lord, there are forty of us engaged in this battle. Grant that forty may be crowned and not one be wanting from this sacred number. It is said that one of the forty left the ranks and headed toward the warm bath. But upon arriving, he died. But at that very moment, a guard that had been standing, watch, stripped down and took his place on the ice. And there they all died, 40 men on the ice. What is death for us but an entrance into eternal life What an inheritance. Peter says, I know that you fled Jerusalem in an attempt to escape persecution and hardship. I know that you've only found at every turn Satan there attacking. As disappointed, disgusted, and discouraged as you may be, people of God, let me remind you, you are simply strangers. You have a different father than the rest of them. And your fortune is a heavenly inheritance. But not only do we see their father, not only do we note their fortune, but he goes on to tell them that they're strangers because of their future. Verse 4 and 5, once again we read, he went on to say that to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are kept by the power of God. 
A reality that we cannot dismiss, however, is that the keeping is only as sure as the keeper. I need a little assistance here. Let me get... uh, Let me see here. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, use Grace. Come on up here, Grace. We're going to beat up on her a little bit. Now I need... And I need Mr. Weiser. Okay, that's good. All right, we're going to go ahead and try to figure this thing out. There's a little disparity here, isn't there? Maybe I, I kind of figured it that way, you know what I mean? What I have here is a bottle of water, okay? Now, I want, to, I want you to hold that water, would you please? Again, the keeping is only as good as the keeper. I have now given Grace that bottle of water to keep. She's responsible for it. She's in charge of it. It's hers. You keep that water, all right? Wow. Glad that's not my soul in her hands. I'm going to try that again. Go ahead and keep that for me, all right? You've got to keep it now. All right? Good. Well, there you go. See how easy that is? <laughs> wow, this is really good. But the keeper, keeping is only as good as the keeper. She was supposed to be keeping that bottle. I had entrusted it into her care. She said, I, I got it, it's mine. He just comes by and takes it. Now, he, he can take that from her really and realistic. She could fight all she wanted to. But there's not one, no way in this world she could have kept that bottle of water from him. Impossible. Now, I know she made no kung fu and jiu-jitsu and everything else in the book. But this guy right here, I mean, he's a machine. He'd have got that water from her. I don't care how hard she'd have tried. And I think we all would be in pretty much agreement with that. Now, that's because the keeping is as important as the keeper. It's, it's, it's imperative. It's absolutely necessary. That, that determines how secure things are. Now, Cody now holds that bottle of water. <clears throat> and Cody, obviously, our goal is to keep that bottle of water, is it not? Isn't it? <laughs> that keeping is only as sure as the keeper. There we go. Now we're talking. All right. Now, here's the thing. He now has it, okay? Cody, go ahead and get that from him. We can stop right there. You'll probably bust off the top and some water will be everywhere. But I just want, I want you to understand something. 
The, the keeping is the real key, isn't it? The keeper, I mean. No, wait, I'm getting mixed up. I'm getting all shook up because of grace. <clears throat> I said that the keeping is only as sure as the keeper. And now we got a keeper that's pretty sure. You understand where I'm going with this? Now listen, thank you, brother. I, you, you can have it. give it to me, thanks. All right, you guys, thank you. I appreciate your help. Now, did you see what happened when we had the right keeper? Hey, this thing was secure. And you know what? The Bible's very clear on who the keeper is. He says we are kept by the what? Power of God. Hey, that's pretty important stuff there. I mean, it's important to keep that in mind because there's no power in heaven or on earth any more powerful than God. It is the way it is. So if we are kept by the power of God, I've got to believe that's pretty secure, isn't it? That's a pretty safe place to be in the hands of God. As a matter of fact, in John 10, the Bible tells us, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Man, that's a, that, that right there is a keeper that can keep and I'll tell you, if you've been placed in the hand of God, if you're part of the family of God, you're a child of God, then let me tell you, I don't care how hard the world tries, no matter how often they seek to discourage or disgrace you, the reality is, is you're as safe today as you're ever going to be. And the reality is today is you are just simply a pilgrim passing through. You are only a stranger in this place. This isn't where you live. This is only a place you reside because your real citizenship is in heaven. W.B. Henson, the Baptist preacher from a century ago, he spoke from his own experience just before he died. He said, I remember a year ago when a doctor told me, you have an illness from which you won't recover. He said, I walked out to where I live, five miles from Portland, Oregon, and I looked across that mountain that I love. I looked at the river in which I rejoice and I looked at the stately trees that are always God's own poetry to my soul. Then in the evening, I looked up into the great sky where God was lighting His lamps, and I said, I might not see you many more days, but mountain, I shall be alive when you're gone. And river, I shall be alive when you cease running toward the sea. And stars... I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets in the great downpooling of the material universe. W.B. Henson understood that he had an eternal future. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, And God breathed into man the breath of life. And he became a living soul. Literally, God breathed eternal life into each and every one of us. That is so unique and so special. There's no other creature on this planet that has been received that eternal breath. I understand that, that we now choose between eternal life and eternal death. But the reality is, is we all will live eternally. But as a child of God, as a sojourner in this life, as a pilgrim in this place, we have chosen to receive God as our Father. And we're now part of His family. And we have a tremendous future. An eternal future. It's not that we'll somehow end up in heaven but they will live there and reside there forever. It'll never end. 
you know, I, I could uh, probably go along a list of faiths and beliefs and so forth, of different denominations and so forth, and find out that, that many of them believe that you can lose what God has given. Even though the Bible says that you're kept by the power of God, some reason, for some reason, I, I don't always fully understand it, many somehow end up landing on the side of, well, if you don't do this and this and this, you're going to have to get saved again. You'll lose it. Now, that's a reality in our world. I mean, in religion, religious circles, many people will take that position and that stand. But biblically and scripturally, <clears throat> God keeps us with His power. We're in His hands. And the truth is, if you want to be really technical about it, we're not just in His hands, we are His hands. Because we are in Christ. We're more secure than ever that way. The truth is, if you want to get very doctrinally sound about it, we're dealing with the Old Testament still, when he makes the statement about we're in God's hands, the reality is we're, we are the hands. So it's a wonderful truth. Aren't you glad today that we are saved eternally? In the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. See, it's the power of God that secures our eternal destination. Peter speaking to these Jewish believers. They had experienced tremendous persecution in Jerusalem. Ultimately, they're driven from their homes and from their land. They find themselves in <clears throat> other countries, trying to establish their life, their families, their livelihoods. Upon arriving there, they, they begin to set up shop and begin to move forward in their lives, only to find that what they fled from was exactly what was reality. That they couldn't get away from those that were persecuting, those that hated them, those that despised them, those that misunderstood them, those that maligned and mistreated them. The fact was it didn't matter if they went down to the, to the grocery store and bought something and shared a gospel track, or if they went out and tried to win their friends and families door to door, or if they shared the gospel through letter or possibly through word of mouth. It didn't matter. Whatever they did, it wasn't right. However it ended up, people still thought they were fanatical. They still couldn't understand why they would stand so firmly on this book, the Word of God. How come it had to be their only, uh, their, their, the very foundation of their faith and practice? I mean, can't you give in a little bit, guys? Can't you surrender just a little bit here or a little bit there? Can't you just forget about that standard or that requirement or that commandment? And there they stood, thinking to themselves, we fled. We uprooted our entire families, only to be in the same place we were. And Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes to the strangers scattered abroad. 
He says, teenagers, those young people at school won't understand why you don't want to smoke and drink and cuss and do the things that other teenagers do. And they're going to make fun of you maybe. And they may call you names and they may say things about your faith and tell you why you're so foolish and that it's not real. You may have teachers tell you that the Word of God is just a myth and it's fake and it's not genuine. That really we came from apes so that we are part of evolutionary processes. He says, I want you to remember, teenagers, you're strangers. You say, I don't want to be a stranger. I want to fit in. May I say that there's not a person in the room that doesn't want to fit in today? Every one of us do. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's a little easier when you get a little older to fit in. You don't need as many people. You feel like you need the world around you when you're young. As you get a little older, you realize you don't need as many people. But listen, if you're a child of God today, Peter was writing to you. He's saying you're strangers. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that you're a peculiar people. (laughs) Peculiar. We knew that already. In a good way you are. You want to know something? said to all the mamas and daddies, he said, listen, you're going to realize that when you hold your children to some of the standards that you will, the world's going to say you're nuts. They're going to say, I don't understand why they can't watch certain television shows. I don't understand why you make such a big deal about the movies not going there. I don't, I don't understand why you don't allow things in your home and certain things that we do. Hey, there's nothing wrong with how we dress our little girls. And there's nothing wrong that they look like these certain people that stand on stage and sing and, and, and draw attention to themselves. There's nothing wrong with them dressing like that during Halloween, especially showing off their bellies and, and trying to dress like they're 20 when they're only 9. You know what's so sad today is that there are Christians who for some reason, whatever it might be, I really can't comprehend it, nor do I understand it, allow their daughters to dress like that. I understand wanting to stay up with the times, and I do realize it's always a challenge, and I'm sure that someday in heaven we'll realize that sometimes we're a little bit overboard on some things, and maybe we're not nearly as strict as we should have been in others. But let me say, the world ought to think you're a little peculiar. The world ought to say there's something wrong with you, Mama and Daddy. There's something wrong with how you raising your child. Don't you realize that you're not emphasizing the things that are most important? And I don't understand why you won't let your child play basketball or football or baseball on Wednesday night or go on tournaments over the weekends. I don't understand all that. You don't, you know you're scarring your child? I thought that we escaped that back in Jerusalem. I thought we got away from all of that, 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 that identity crisis and all those problems. And I thought that we somehow could carve a niche in, our, in the world in which we live and somehow be left alone and not have to answer for every decision we make and not be looked down on because we want to abide by the Word of God and serve our Master. Peter says, you're strangers. Get used to it. Get used to it. 
if you don't come up against some opposition because of what you believe and how you live, if you fit in with the world, it's because you are like the world. Peter says, I know that you fled in an attempt to escape that cruel persecution here at Jerusalem. Only to find that this opposition isn't limited to a specific region or city, but it extends around the world. But as disappointed, as disgusted, and as discouraged as you may be, let me remind you of one thing, saint. You are strangers here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I guess probably one of the greatest tragedies in the modern church era that so many feel at home. I hope that we as a church will come to a place where all of us who gather here will not feel at home anymore in this world. We'll all feel like round pegs trying to fit in a round trying to fit in anything square, I guess. I don't know how to say it, but you know what I mean. That's what I want. Because that's what God says it ought to be. Are you at home in the world? Are you comfortable? Do you ever come up against opposition? Not because you're cantankerous, not because you have a poor spirit, not because you're just downright hard to get along with. I'm talking about you're being sweet-spirited, you're being Christ-like, but people just seem to What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Come on, we want you to come. Won't you come to our party? Well, I appreciate the offer, I really do, but uh, you know, I've already got plans that night or I'm already busy. You never come to our parties. What's wrong with you? And they go talk about you to their friends. I think they're fanatical. I think they're nuts. I think they're, they're really a little bit too crazy about this thing called religion. I mean, you ever run into problems like that? How's come, how's come we fit in so comfortably? I just, I, I, I hope that we can come to the place as we move forward in our ministries here that as a whole, our church feels very uncomfortable in the world. That's all. Because if we are uncomfortable in this world, it's because we're carrying a banner that says Jesus. Because people don't really want to hear a lot about Him anymore. So if we're going to carry that banner high, and we're going to live the life that's described and outlined in this book, we're going to have to eventually say with the Apostle Peter, man, I feel like a stranger here. I just feel like a stranger. I just don't fit in. So teenager, when you don't fit in, it's probably because you don't need to anyway. If you're living for Jesus, you shouldn't fit in 100%. You should fit in here. You should fit here. That's why the church is so important, by the way. 
Because you need somewhere to fit. You shouldn't fit out there. But sadly enough, if we're honest, sometimes we feel like we fit pretty good. I want to get along with everybody. I hate anyone not liking me. But that's just not realistic in the world we live, if I'm truly going to live right. What's he say as we close? All those that shall live godly. Somebody quote it for me because I'm. Oh, is that, is that how it goes? I know it's how suffers. Okay. All those that will live godly, I think there's something else to it, but in this present world shall suffer, persecu- shall suffer persecution, right? Yeah, listen, that's just reality. All those that will live godly in this world shall suffer persecution, I guess. I think that's how it goes. You, you, what is it? Say it out loud for me. I knew I'd get it sooner or later. That's what I pay him to do. <laughs> He's the brains. I'm the brawn. <laughs> By the way, Steve Cavanaugh and his wife are going to be coming to join our staff here. They're going to be working with us here soon. We've got a lot of work to do as a church, folks. We've got a lot of work. What will draw this world to Community Baptist Temple will not be what looks like them. It'll be the difference. We've got to be different. Let's not fit in. Let's stand for Jesus Christ. I want you to think in your own heart for just a moment as we close now. What area in my life mirrors the world so closely that if the world saw or questioned or understood what I was doing, they wouldn't see any difference between what they are and what I am? I mean, is there any area in your life that is like the world? And listen, let's face it. Let's just be honest with that question. I don't think one of us in this room can say no. There's something that we need to work on and deal with. Something that is much more worldly than we would want to admit. I just want you to begin to think and ask God to search your heart. And say, Lord, what is it that keeps me from being everything you want me to be? And I'll be honest with you, that's a hard thing for me to say sometimes. Because I know what that means, and so do you. That means change is coming. And sometimes we don't like change because we know that it's going to mean a little discomfort. But if we want God to be magnified in our life, in our ministries, amongst each other, we're going to have to let God have His way. So let's think about that as we move forward. Hey, we're strangers today. This isn't our home. We're just passing through. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. and Help us, Lord, really, to, to be very aware of our lives. And again, Lord, there's no doubt that if you're a fireman, you need to be the best fireman you can be. That has nothing to do with being worldly at all. But on the other hand, Lord, there 